We've used this verse every, just about every year in our Christmas uh, season, but I want to make an application of it today uh, to this Thanksgiving season, and uh, particularly to our communion time. Um, Second Peter, I mean, Second Corinthians, chapter nine and verse fifteen is what uh, we have to read. And I'd like you to uh, read it aloud together with me when you get there. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. And ready and begin. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Amen. And you remember that one well from all of our Christmas past, Christmases past. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. We've been talking about all the things that we uh, are giving thanks for, giving thanks to the Lord for. Uh, in this season, and we've been dealing with that. But uh, Paul the Apostle sums it up very well concerning the season that we're in with uh, his words from that passage we just read. They're God's words, but they came through the Apostle Paul. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. So uh, there, is a, there are a number of ways in which that gift really is unspeakable. Uh, unspeakable has a depth of meaning, you know, to it. And there's a lot you could add to it, but I want to just uh, throw out a couple of thoughts tonight concerning that unspeakable gift. First of all, let me say that the measure of that gift is unspeakable. For 2,000 years, the greatest poets, greatest of the hymn writers, the most eminent wordsmiths of the ages have attempted to describe this gift, but have not been entirely successful because it is an unspeakably great gift. When Paul looked upon the scene in heaven and was uh, caught up there for a time, he said, whether in the body or out of the body, I can't tell, uh, but I was caught up to the third heaven. And he said, there I saw uh, unspeakable things. I thought I saw things that it's not lawful for a man to utter. He said, "There's just no, there's no law of language that can uh, allow me to express what I saw when I uh, got a glimpse of glory." And so you and I have that to look forward to. Paul came back, said, "You know, it was so, it was so magnificent. I didn't want to come back." He said, "I'm caught in a strait betwixt two. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better." But he said, I know that God's got a purpose for me down here yet to fulfill. And so it is with us. That, uh, uh, that unspeakable glory of heaven, that, that kind of language is what he uses here when he speaks of the gift that Jesus Christ gave for us. And thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. For 2,000 years, the most simple and the most eloquent of preachers have tried to speak it and tried to describe it, tried to, uh, to give the sense of it, but have come to the conclusion that it's an unspeakable gift. That uh, there is never going to be enough said about it is something we uh, fully recognize, the Christian the Christian never cries out, don't say any more about the gift that the Savior gave us. That's never on our lips. The hymn writer never decides, well, we've finally got enough hymns. 
about the gift of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God, and we need to write about something else. The hymn writer never comes to that place because this is an unspeakable gift. And there are thousands upon thousands and multitudes of thousands of hymns, uh, those that we've sang and many that we will never learn in the course of our lives that all speak of this unspeakable gift, but uh, do it with only partial success. The preacher never determines that he's come to the place where he's preached enough about the unspeakable gift of the Savior. Never gets to that place where he says, you know, the folks are tired of that and they don't want to hear it anymore. I need to move on to something else. Uh, at least a Bible preacher never gets to that point. Uh, there are, I suppose, those preachers that make that kind of a conclusion, but they're not coming from the same book as we are. So um, that's the way it is. It was our Lord as he was preparing himself for the sacrifice of himself. He was preparing himself and he was preparing the disciples for his payment to purchase this unspeakable gift. And in doing that, we talked a little bit about it when we came across to the book of John. But the fact that uh, as he was uh, entering upon that hour in which he would suffer and die to make the payment uh, possible for that unspeakable gift. As he was approaching that very hour, his spirit was not one of mourning, but it was one of thankfulness. And that's a remarkable truth. Uh, let's look back at Luke chapter 22 for a minute. He's offering thanks to the Father. He's offering thanks to the Heavenly Father for it was the wisdom of the Father that conceived the plan from eternity past. And he's offering thanks to the Father for what he is about to endure. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And look down in verse 12. Luke chapter 22. And verse uh, 14, I'm sorry. Verse 14. When the hour was come, he sat down... And the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks. And he said, Take this and divide it among yourself. Do you see what he did? He took the cup and he gave thanks. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it. He gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And so in verse 20, likewise also the cup after supper saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. And so in both of those uh, instances where he took the cup and he took the bread, he first gave thanks. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Take your Bible back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and here's the familiar passage we often use when um, we are preparing ourselves for the partaking of the table of our Lord, the communion of our Lord's body and blood. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through verse 26. He says, For I have received of the Lord, Paul says, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And it is the Lord's death that we're commemorating here, the sacrifice that occurred in his death in the fullness of the gospel we have his death his burial and his resurrection and all these elements are uh, vital to the fullness of the gospel and yet uh, in the communion season we uh, specifically focus on his death because it was his death that was the price that was required for the payment for your sins and mine and the opportunity for us to receive that unspeakable gift he knew the eternal difference this unspeakable gift would make uh, in the lives of everyone who received it. He knew that already, and therefore we want to look uh, at uh, another aspect of this gift, and that's the value, the value of this gift. He says it's unspeakable. The, the measure of the gift is unspeakable, but so also is the value of the gift. It's unspeakable. It cannot be calculated there is no uh, mathematician on the face of the earth that could calculate the worth of this unspeakably worthy gift. In uh, the book of Matthew chapter 16, there's something that uh, gives us a, a glimpse of the value of this gift, at least a glimpse in the direction of the value of this gift. And Matthew 16 and verse 26 is where we see that. Matthew 16 and verse uh, number 26 the Bible says there, What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? And here's the exchange rate. The New York Stock Exchange, the exchange rate is the value of a stock, the cost of it, and it goes up and down. But there's always a price that you can buy it at. You can, you can buy a thousand stocks of Microsoft but it's going to cost you a lot of money. <laughs> you can buy a thousand Apple stocks, uh, and it's going to cost you a lot of money. What is it? About twenty thousand dollars a stock now, uh, a piece now, something like that. But it has a price. It's a high price, but it has a price, and you can buy it. You can buy it. But uh, he says, "What shall a man give on the stock exchange? What shall a man give to exchange for?" The, the freedom of, from sin. What, what can a man give to buy back his soul from the devil? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? And there's no, no answer to that because the value of the gift that Jesus Christ has paid for is unspeakable. Uh, we can't. The, the worth of the world doesn't balance out the weight of the value of one eternal soul. 
And so it can't be traded for, the soul can't. And, and that gives you some idea of the value of this gift and why Paul so aptly described it by that word, unspeakable. It's past our capability to even comprehend the value of this gift. So uh, we're grateful to God that the declaration of this gift is uh, never to cease being spoken. We thank God that even though we can't speak it, even though we can't describe it, even though we can't fully comprehend it, uh, the fact is it should never cease to be spoken. Uh, no pulpit should go silent on the, the unspeakable gift of the, the uh, death and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. No pulpit should ever go silent on why it costs so much and why it had to be. No pulpit should ever go silent on the, on the truths of the gospel, the, the bad news that we're sinners and we're bound for eternal judgment in hell and the good news that Jesus Christ paid the price. I tell you, that never needs to cease from being spoken. No matter whatever uh, other subject we start on, we've got to come along someplace uh, and, uh, and say something again about that which is so unspeakable, the uh, gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, the gift that Jesus Christ paid for, with, a, with the immeasurable value of his own blood. So it is eternal blood. It is uh, e he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And the blood uh, is a testimony in heaven's altar, on heaven's altar of, of that eternal value. So thank God for the occasion that he gives us. He presents uh, before the churches and he says to them, uh, those disciples being that first assembled together body of believers there in that place, he says, unto them that uh, I want you to observe this as often as you do it in remembrance of this gift that I am about to pay for, this sacrifice that I'm about to give. And I want as often as you do it, when you, when you uh, take of the fruit of the vine there, to, uh, to think of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for you. And as often as you uh, take of that unleavened piece of uh, bread, I want you to think of my body, which I gave to be broken for you. And so it is the communion. The word comes from common union, a common union with Jesus Christ that occurred at the point of our salvation when we came into common union with him. He became ours and we became his. We're in him and he's in us and we're in a common union there. And that common union is expressed in a body of believers as we gather together in an assembly of a church Common union is expressed that way as well. We're, we're all of one family and of one blood, and that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we observe this, um, we, we think of that, we think of that uh, unspeakable aspect of the gift that he gave for us. So what the scripture says that they did in preparation for that event was that he explained to the church at Corinth some things they needed to do. He found them in a very bad uh, way when he when he uh, learned of what they were doing and the liberties that they had taken with the gospel and the errors that were so rampant in the church there and he corrected those things by the time you get to the second book of Corinthians a lot of that's been taken care of and 
They're even restoring to fellowship the, one of the most grievous sinners of all of them that is mentioned there in uh, 6 and 7 of the, of the first letter. And so um, he's being taken back into fellowship again. So things are going in the right direction for the church of Corinth by the time he, he's finished with his second letter there. But they weren't, they weren't there yet uh, in the first letter. And one of the things that he needed to correct was the awful abuses that had occurred with the table of the Lord, with the, with the communion. And they had made it anything but what it was supposed to be. It was a grievous thing. And so uh, he made a lot of corrections there. And one of the things that he pointed out to them was that the, some, of the, uh, some of the ill fortunes that had fallen upon them, the sicknesses and the deaths among them, uh, had been related to the abuses of the table of our Lord, to the communion. And so he corrected them on that, and he said, I want you to do this before you ever, before you ever uh, come before the communion uh, uh, table again. He said, I want you to examine yourselves and uh, to um, let the Holy Spirit do a work in your heart and that you know that you're uh, right with God and in a right walk with the Lord when you, uh, when you finish with your time of self-examination. So he made that, uh, you know, very clear to them that that was what they were to do. And, and God put it in the Bible for us all these generations and hundreds and thousands of years later. It's just as applicable for us today. So uh, let's take a look at what it says there specifically in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, down at the bottom there after verse 26 there, verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. None of us wants that. So he says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation, condemnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. But if we would judge ourselves, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. When we are judged, we are chastened the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And he uh, corrected their, their uh, misunderstandings of the uh, communion and explained to them that this was not a feast time. This was not a time for them to gather together and and rich people uh, eat all, that, all of their bounty, and the poor people have to look on. And he said, uh, if you're hungry, go home and eat. You know? If you're hungry, eat, eat at home. But uh, we're gathering together to, uh, to remember the, the um, sacrifice of our Savior with this, with this communion. When you notice, if you notice when we were reading, when Jesus instituted the, uh, the communion time, it says that after they had supped, after supper, he took the cup. And... Uh, and broke the bread, and after they'd already eaten of the Passover, that was done, that was set aside. So, so we're not uh, eating a supper here. We're observing a communion, a time of communion. And so, let's uh, uh, do this. If you're physically able to uh, get to your knees and and to have a time of self-examination, uh, I want to uh, suggest that we do that, and uh, we'll. Uh, take a little time in prayer privately, and then I'll conclude our prayer time uh, publicly and uh, get ourselves uh, situated and, and uh, ready to properly observe the communion of our Lord, shall we? Let's go to prayer.